Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. I almost forgot what I was doing today. It is uh, Bakukul Brook Green the Third. <laughs> my name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of The Day of the Tempest by Gene Rabe. Now, I will be spoiling the story, so if you don't want to know it, go read the book and then come back and uh, watch the review. And uh, I'd also like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member if you're not already. <laughs> by visiting the link in the description below and remind you that you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using the affiliate links. It all just goes to help this channel out and I genuinely appreciate it. Um, now, again, this is just my thought, my perspective. If you differ, I'd love to hear what, how our opinions differ, what you thought of the novel, you know, different story beats and stuff. Leave a comment below if you're not watching on live and if you are watching live, uh, I welcome you to, you know, let me know your thoughts in the chat. So the way these things work is I have a pre-written review. I will read all that out. And then whatever you throw up in the YouTube chat, I'll just sort of riff off of and we'll just have a good old Dragonlance evening. It's Friday. I got nothing else to do. I mean, Servant's available and I'll go watch that in a little bit, but that's it. So let's hang out. Solid Cumbie, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. A little Merlot helps, helps it along. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Now, before I start my review, I got to get this off my chest. I'm tired of some very basic inconsistencies. The first book proposed this and the second book is reaffirming it. They have a Dragonlance and everyone is calling it Sturm Brightblade's Dragonlance. But I don't ever recall Sturm Brightblade wielding a Dragonlance. Not once. So if I'm like off on that, Please let me know, but I, I've been scouring my memory, and I cannot find it anywhere in my databanks up here. Now, it seems like such an easy thing to look up and not make a mistake over, and yet here we are, two books in, with the exact same reference. So I don't know if I'm the one that's messed up, or if it's Gene Rabe and their editors. I suspect it's them. But I'm, I'm human. Of course, I could be wrong. I don't think I am, though. So it seems like, um, uh, also there's this constant suggestion that the master of the Tower of Weyrith is Raceland Majir by the Shadow Sorcerer, and vice versa. He doesn't even look like him, like neither of them do. And if anyone was Raceland, it would have been the Shadow Sorcerer. So I can't help but think that Palin would put some sort of pressure to discover who the Shadow Sorcerer really is. And at no point is there ever a question, which seems very... And it, the, the um, master of the tower, who is this mysterious figure, all the way throughout the first novel and this novel, until the very end of this novel, straight up says, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sort of a conglomerate of everyone. I'm, I'm an amalgamation. I'm an anthropomorphic version of the tower itself. So I'm a little bit of every single sorcerer that's ever been a part of the tower. I wonder why it's taken you so long to ask me this, Palin. Because Palin finally grew the cojones to be like, who are you? <laughs> that seems like a normal thing. Like, you run across a wizard who is suddenly on the council of wizards. And you've never once seen him before. And now you just sort of been like, uh, you know, maybe I should ask who this guy is. After you have dissolved the council at his request. At no point before that fact do you go like, huh, I wonder who this new wizard is. Why is he on the council when Palin was 
in charge of the orders of high sorcery at that point. So who the hell was this guy? And then where does the, 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 what is he named? Shadow Sorcerer come from out of nowhere. And Palin is just like, dur, 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 it's a normal thing. Brand new wizards. Like, they would not be in the Tower of High Sorcery of Wayworth if they had not been a part of the Order and taken the test of High Sorcery. We know who the Shadow Sorcerer is, but that was as much of a retcon as anything else when uh, the War Souls trilogy came out. So, who it was supposed to be by Gene Rabe and the design team of Dragonlance Fifth Age dramatic role-playing game, who knows? But you're going to tell me that a major character who's in charge of the Orders of High Sorcery doesn't ask who the hell are you when they show up to council meetings? Not once? Get the fuck, get... Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I swear. It's ridiculous. That being said, it, it is very, like, curious why he's never asked. All right, so anyway. Um, the novel picks up with Damon surfacing from the lake at Dawman, I guess it is, surfacing from the lake after having defeated the blue dragon Gale. He calls out to his companions, but they don't hear him, and he's pulled back under the surface. Then we flash to the ship Flint's anvil, and the heroes sailing to the northern wastes. Rig, uh, the captain, is convinced that he's going to find the blue dragon's lair and take its valuables now that it's dead. What they end up discovering is Kelendros's lair and his two wyvern guardians and blue dragon spawn. They battle them all and are defeated, with most of the party captured to be turned into spawn. The Kender, Blister, rescues them all and they fight their way out. They learn of another lair or fort of Kelendros's and they decide to check it out before returning to their ship. The fortress ends up being a prison for humans to be turned into spawn, so the heroes make a plan to break the prisoners out. They're elephants and scorpions that are brought to the heroes' cause as they barely succeed and escape. This is arguably the best part of this entire novel. Not this moment, but the concept behind it. And it's that, uh, hey Thomas, thanks for joining live. That they fail. They regularly fail in this. And I love that because if you look back at the, the, the Heroes of the Lance they failed a lot. I mean, they succeeded the vast majority of the time they did things, but they also suffered a lot of casualties and setbacks. That's what makes a story's hero base believable, is that they're not superheroes, that they do have flaws, and that they do fail from time to time. And that's what I really love that was carried through with this trilogy as well. So as they get back to their ship, they realize that Gilthana's cannon is with them. That's right. So for those of you who are a little bit hazy on the timeline of what Gilthanus did when he did it, we sort of left him at the end of the War of the Lands. And then this sort of uh, shadowy time period happened where the Quilinist Ls were taken over by their Senate, and the Senate sent Gilthanus to Sylvanesty, and the Sylvanesty imprisoned him for 20 years. <laughs> like, messed up. And so as soon as Gilthan, and he was, during that 20 years time period that he was imprisoned, he was supposed to meet up at Foghaven Vale with Silvara, his love of his life. And so she just assumed he, like, ghosted her or something. Which is a weird thing to assume if you've had, like, the relationship and, and sort of trials and tribulations that they had experienced together. But that's what she believed anyway. And so he's just literally been a prisoner of war for 20 years. He finally gets out. 
gets captured by Knights of Tekesis. <laughs> Dude can't get any breaks. It's just the most sad, sad life he's of any character ever, in my opinion. Full stop. So he gets captured by the Knights of Tekesis right after being released from Sylvanesty or escaping from Sylvanesty. Again, it's a little hazy. And uh, that's when he's rescued by uh, Palin and the heroes. So they realize they have him with him, but they also have this old man who used to work at the Great Library of Planthus, says he, called Sageth. Now here's the part where it's sort of paid off at the very end of this novel, and it, it's sort of uh, outlined by the rant at the very top of this review. No one ever asks questions. Like, this guy is straight up saying, these are artifacts that you need to find, these are where you can find these artifacts, and they're what's required in order for you to bring real magic back to Kryn and defeat all the dragon overlords. No one asks him, how do you know this? And how do you know what we're trying to do? No one! It's just, like, accepted. Oh, well, he was in the prisoners, so he must be right and good, and he knows all of our plans and where to do everything that we need to do, so let's just trust him without ever once questioning anything about him. It's just insane. And that's, like, the greatest flaw of this trilogy, I think. No one questions anyone or anything. They just accept people at face value. It's like, oh, you say you're a good person? Okay, I assume you are. And then when they turn around and be like an evil character, they're like, oh, I never saw that coming. Yeah, maybe you should ask people who they are, dumbasses. <laughs> it's like the most basic. If someone walks up to you on the street and starts talking about your wife, you're going to ask them, uh, I'm sorry, who are you and how do you know my wife? Now let's extrapolate that out to world-changing events you should be asking, uh, how do you know our plan? But okay. So this old man tells them that Kelandros wants collected artifacts from the Age of Dreams in order to destroy them, and that would then return a ton of magic to Kryn. He even knows which artifacts they're see uh, seeking. Goldmoon's Holy Medallion of Faith, Dalimar's Ring, a jeweled scepter called the Fist of Eli, uh, it's the paladine's name uh, amongst the elves, a crown of Dimmernost, and Huma's Dragonlance. Gilthanus tells them that he can lead them to the Dragonlance because he knows where it is in southern Aragoth. The night, um, that night, Palin teleports to the Tower of High Sorcery in Weyrith, where Oh, and here's the other side of this. That, I'm sorry, this is... I'm starting to actually kind of get angry at this, this book that I just finished and I've been enjoying. So, so not only did they tell him... Um, everyone what Kelendros is going to do, which then leads all of them to do the exact same thing. No one ever questions, oh, but if we get them and destroy them, isn't that exactly what Kelendros was doing and what he wanted to do? So aren't we just doing exactly what Kelendros wants us to do? And it saves him the trouble from doing it. Like, at, at no point is there ever a question of, should we be doing this? They just do it. Stupid. All right. So that night, Palin teleports to the Tower of High Sorcery in Weyrith, where the Shadow Sorcerer and the Master of the Tower are. They're told everything Palin knows, and the Master has Dalimar's ring. I'm getting a little bit of bugged here that we haven't heard about where Dalimar is. I know that he was supposed to have died in the Abyss fighting Chaos, but if you read the War of Souls trilogy, you all know that he's around. And I can't recall if he's in this trilogy or not. And it's kind of bugging me a little bit. So the Sorcerers agree... 
that finding the artifacts is more important than trying to kill Gelidus, which is what Palin was originally going to try to do with the Dragonlance that they had. Um, so the Master will research the artifacts as Palin looks for them, and the Shadow Sorcerer insists on continually spying on uh, Malice. Usha and Ulin are also at the Tower of High Sorcery, and they all decide to return to Flint's Anvil together. Now, I don't remember anything about Ulin, and so this is uh, Usha and Palin's son. So this should be fun to relearn all about one of Usha and Palin's kids that I literally have no memory of. So Malice is meeting with some of her knights and gifts the bravest one with the scale that sears into his chest. This allows her to see through his eyes and gives him this sort of magical supernatural strength. She then sends them to Salamnia to learn about the people and the land and what other dragon lords are doing and stuff. Kelandros is infuriated that Palin, uh, Palin rescued his prisoners and swears to exact revenge on him himself. He sends a talent of knights to southern Aragoth to find humans, Huma's lance. Palin, Usha, and Ulin appear on Flint's anvil, and the crew is trying to figure out uh, what to do with the refugees that they all liberated from Kelandros' prison. And then they agree to give all the treasure that they took from that prison to them uh, so that they can buy clothing and food when they drop them off. They decide to drop them off at a, a coastal town called Whitdell. And when they go to port, they notice a knight of Takisa's ship docking as well. Half of the crew are asleep as Ulin instigates a straight-up fight with these knights of Takisa's. And Rig, the captain, backs his play and it wakes everyone else with the scent of fire. See, Ulin is a sorcerer, a pyromancer, and he's set the knight's ship on fire. They fight off all the knights, and it turns out that the ship was full of more prisoners, who all then freak out about being saved by Palin Majir, the hero from the Chaos War, the most powerful sorcerer on Kryn. He's like a celebrity. They tell the heroes about the another prison camp, which is inland a little bit more, and the heroes go to rescue those other people. They end up using sorcery to ambush the knights and defeat them, as Malice's knights that she had just sent out come up and stop them from taking the prisoners. They're at this point hopelessly outnumbered, and they're stunned to suddenly see Domin appear among them with this massive glaive and a surcoat and nothing else. <laughs> he reminds me of Lancelot and Excalibur when uh, he had left Arthur's knights and then comes back to help them win the final battle. Domin was rescued by a bronze dragon named Shimmer, who healed him from his battle with the blue dragon. It took a month. Is that right, Shimmer? I think I referenced Shimmer's name later on in incorrect context. So I'm going to bring that up once I, I get to it. So it took about a month for him to heal. Uh, and Shimmer ended up teleporting him near Feral, the Kaganasti elf that he's in love with. Domin destroys the knights with his magical glaive, which is like an artifact. And in a final battle with the Scale Knight of Malice... The knight pleads with him to take the scale off and then slaps it right on top of Domin's leg, saying that if he ever removes it, he's going to die. And then the knight dies to kind of prove his point. Malice is infuriated that he didn't defeat Domin and wants that magical glaive more than anything else. So the heroes reunite, save the prisoners, and return to Flint's anvil. Aboard, they decide to split up. A third of them will go to the Shawl Sea to visit Goldmoon to get her holy medallion. Another third will go to southern Ergoth for Huma's lance, and the last third will travel to Kualanisi Forest to search for the Fist of Ali. We follow the group led by Gilthanas to Foghaven Vale initially. They immediately know that they are being followed, but also following other 
people's footprints until they lose them in a blizzard. They come across a human food cache for Frost, which is a very sort of like um, aliens type situation where, you know, the aliens would like goo people on the walls, like sticky sort of like, I don't know, resin or something like that. And they just sort of be trapped there until the aliens were ready to like have the, the hand aliens like implant an egg into their chest. That's what Frost did to these humans, the Knights of Salamnia and Knights of Tachesis. He just, like, captured them all, killed some of them, and then froze them all to the walls. And so the heroes come by and, like, rescue them, find out most of them are dead, some of them are alive. They find that a few of the Dark Knights from Kelendros' Talon that had came to reclaim Huma's Lance and a Salamnia Knight. The Salamnia Knight was with her fellow knights when the Dark Knights came upon them and killed everyone but her. And then Frost killed most of the Dark Knights and then took all the bodies for food. So after being rescued, the knights swear to leave their order, which is very suspicious and quick, and follow the heroes to Huma's tomb. Frost knows that they're there and will just sort of wait outside to ambush them. They find the tomb and travel to the Hall of Lances, not knowing which lance is Huma's. There's like walls of lances here. They decide to sleep with the warmth of the, or within the warmth of the tomb, and then they'll search for Huma's lance when they wake up. Once they do wake up, there's the keeper of Huma's tomb there, which is ultimately a gold dragon in the shape of a little boy. He tells them that he doesn't know which of the dragon lances is Huma's, but he also won't stop them from looking for it and taking it. Then a contingent of Knights of Salamnia arrive looking for Fiona, led by Lady Arlena Plata, who Gilthanas instantly recognizes as Silvara. They're estranged at this point, as she waited for him after the war Lance, but he never appeared because he was in prison. He's trying his best to try to talk her into a second chance when Groller discovers the correct Lance. They move to leave, and Frost is actually waiting for them outside and attacks them. So I have Shimmer here, but I think it's a different named... It is. It's um, Sunrise is the name of this dragon. So Sunrise, the gold dragon, and Silvara change to their dragon forms and attack Frost while Fiona and Groller, wielding the dragon lances, are attacking him as well. They cannot defeat Frost even with the very first dragon lance, which is a true dragon lance, which is very stunning and, and surprising. That's how powerful these dragon overlords are. So they can't even defeat him with those, uh, but he does get wounded and he realizes that he needs to sort of back off, re, you know, heal up, and then attack these guys when he's fully ready and expecting what they actually have in their, their arsenal here. And so he tells them he's going to promise to return and, and kill them all as he leaves. Back at the Forest of Quilinesty, Gilthaz, Jasper, Farrell, and Usha are looking for the tower that holds the Fist of Eli, only to be captured a la Return of the Jedi styled by Ewoks, or Quilinesty Elves. The elves come out and refuse to acknowledge the truth about it being Palin Majir. Like, they're literally staring at Palin Majir, and they're like, there's no way Palin Majir would get caught in our stupid net trap. So you clearly cannot be Palin Majir. And he's like, no, but I am. This is all the stuff that I did. These are the names of my family and my kids. And they're just like, no, we don't believe you. <laughs> and threaten to murder everyone that's caught in their trap. Like, these Quilinesty elves are straight up dicks. 100% full-on, disgusting, veiny dicks. That's exactly what they are. So they end up bartering, like selling out Usha, saying, look, Usha will stay with you as collateral. If we don't come back with the, the um, Fist of Ali, you can just kill Usha. 
it's his wife. And he's just like, okay, that's a great trade. You take my wife. All right. So that's what they did. So they leave. And after a week, they finally find the tower, only discover that it's occupied by draconians. Now, the draconians just recently killed Mirla Brenna's Knights of Tachesis, who were searching for the artifact as well. But some got away with the artifact. So Palin and the others promise not to mention that the draconians are there and leave to collect the Fist of Elie from the Knights. What I really liked about this is there was no need to throw in the Draconians and build the reality of the Draconians' existence, where if they stayed working with the Knights of Tachesis, they're ostensibly nothing more than slaves. If they go work for a Dragon Overlord, they're nothing more than slaves. And so what we saw in Draconian Measures and um, uh, what was the other book uh, that was about Draconians? I can't remember at the second. But anyway, that great two-book series was that draconians don't want to be slaves. They want to be in control of their own lives. And the fact is that they don't have females to reproduce. And so they're sort of at the end of their life cycle. Like, well, if we're going to die out as a species anyway, I don't want to die out as a slave. I want to die out living my own life. And that's what these draconians are doing. And they bring that up. And I thought it was just a wonderful way to add a little bit of context to a, a species that is so much more interesting than is being used by Tachesis' forces. It reminds me a lot of uh, droids in Star Wars, where everyone just sort of abuses them and treats them like garbage, but they're essential. Like R2-D2 is the hero of the entire Star Wars saga. He saves everyone's life all the time. So in, there's a whole movement called the Droid Gatra in later Star Wars novels, where the droids are just fed up and they take control and create their own crime ring and they start like taking humans, tearing their arms and pieces of their body off and replacing it with uh, droid parts so that they're more droid than human or alien, you know, depending on the different species. And that just makes it so that they're, they're sort of in a very horrific and monstrous way making other mortals droids so that they can have care and concern for droids and this idea of droids being slaves i just always loved it and now we get to see that exact same concept with draconians and dragonlands and it it's beautiful it, it works beautifully how you doing patrick thanks for joining live um okay so they catch up and defeat them gathering the artifact and palin transports everyone to shalsea as he visits the tower of high sorcery again when he's there, he learns that the master of the tower is actually an anthropomorphic entity of the tower itself, so that it's part every wizard that has ever taken the test since the tower's creation. The shadow sorcerer is still convinced that it's Raceland. They find out that Kelandros is behind Sargath, and somehow Kitiara is part of it as well. Of course, us readers know that her spirit is the catalyst for Kelandros wanting to look for these artifacts. Gale returns, wasn't killed by Domin. Uh, to Kelandros, but he is blinded by Domin. After healing for two months, and uh, Kelandros flies to collect his artifacts. Now that he knows where they are, on Shalsi, because the heroes collected them for him. So Palin teleported the crew to Southern Aragoth, uh, that's in Southern Aragoth, to Shalsi. And I'm getting really tired of this awful convenience of teleporting. If anyone has ever played the um, uh, Dragonlance Fifth Age dramatic role-playing adventure game that this whole fifth age is based on it's a card game instead of dice um well they use cards it's not really a, like a magic the gathering card game but um it's uh hey doug thanks yeah i appreciate that 
it, it's just a little bit frustrating that you can't actually teleport like that in the game, but in the novel, he's just whipping people all around Anselon without any problem at all. So, and I know it's Palin, and he's sort of the most powerful sorcerer at this point in the era, but you should still be able to teleport a little bit. I, I don't know. I just thought it, it's it's sort of a lazy way to get people from point A to point B that would normally take them months without paying it off with having it as an option in the actual game, a realistic option anyway. So, um, hey, thanks, Chris. Good to see you, man. Let's see. So, Domin suddenly becomes controlled by malice because of that scale that was slapped onto his leg. He ends up defeating every one of the heroes and kills Goldmoon. Like, <laughs> I can't believe he killed, like, I forgot that he killed Goldmoon back when this originally came out, like 20 years ago. Reading it again, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's brutal. But she finally meets Riverwind at the end of the novel, who she's been talking to the whole time, and I truly wish that that was the end of her story because it would have been a beautiful end. But we all know, of course, War Souls, she comes back. So the heroes rush to destroy the artifacts per Sargath's request as Palin rushes to them demanding that they end up stopping. The tablet that Sargath was reading then turns into Fisher the Holdra folk that helped Kelendros and kills Sagath. Then Kelendros appears and attacks everyone. They're joined by Silvara, who's uh, Gilthanas' writing, and uh, Sunrise, that Ulin is writing. And Kelendros battles all of them. He ends up collecting the Dragonlance and Holy Medallion, flies off. He believes he's killed most of the heroes, but of course it was just an illusion that Palin uh, summoned. So Domin has gone off to Malice's Peak under her control. The heroes have only two of the artifacts of the four artifacts that they collected. And the whole plan was a scheme of Kelendros's. This is a nasty spot to be in, and to add to it all, a rare shadow dragon has been killing off smaller dragons in Kryn, so we know that he's going to somehow be brought into this whole thing as well. Ultimately, I really did enjoy this story the second time around, but it wasn't as satisfying as the first novel, so let's just hope that Jean Rabe can really nail the landing of the final novel. And if memory serves, she only does a so-so job. If you are a Dragonlance or 5th Age fan, you should definitely read this book. If you just like Dragonlance for Weiss and Hickman's writings, eh, you could probably skip it. Because most of the stuff that happens in this book, in this book is kind of reneged by later stories anyway. So, overall, I did enjoy it, and I generally can't recall how this trilogy ends, so I am looking forward to finding out again. But I was really kind of frustrated by some of the inconsistencies the fact that no one questions anyone, they just accept them in their groups. The fact that um, it's just okay to have the Shadow Sorcerer and the Master of the Tower just be on par with Palin Majir, who's, you know, the most powerful sorcerer at this era, and no one knows who they are, and everyone's okay with it. I'm not okay with it. It bothers me. <laughs> and the worst part about it is, I know who they ultimately are, and I, you know, we found out the, the Master of the Tower, but I know who the Shadow Sorcerer is, but again, that was another reneg, just as Mino was a reneg by Weiss and Hickman when they wrote the, the War of Souls trilogy, from what they were originally going to be. And a huge sort of B-plot of this is that Frost, Gelidus, admitted that Tachesis was going to be coming back to Kryn. I forgot all about that story beat until I read it today. 
and it's just like frustrating because at no point is there ever a suggestion that any of the gods could possibly return except for that one little line drop. And that one little line drop, that little thread was then taken up by Weiss and Hickman later on, completely changing the fifth age and ultimately, you know, how Tikis stole the world and stuff. I never picked up on it on the original read through. And now that I did pick up on it, I'm a little pissed that it wasn't followed through more in this trilogy. It's just sort of like this B storyline. It should be the A storyline. Like if Takesis is coming back, who cares about Malice? Malice isn't a god. Takesis is. No one can match that, you know? So it's just now sort of reflecting back on it, what I know now, I'm a little bit bummed that this wasn't explored more. And it's not just that story beat, but a whole bunch of other storylines that were sort of just tossed to the wayside or completely, you know, hijacked by Wise and Hickman. So I don't know, man, you know, whatever. So uh, Chris can't stay. That's okay. Go have fun at the hockey game and uh, good luck to your son. That's all I really had for this review. You know, let me know. What did you think of the day of the Tempest by Gene Rabe? Did the reintroduction at the end of so many familiar heroes land well with you? Is Domin and his glaive kind of too overpowered? You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel Click the bell to get notified about upcoming videos and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. I thank you for joining me in the celebration. Again, my name is Adam with Dragonlance Saga. And until next time, Slanjavar.